There are many ways to build a team in the NBA, but to have success, you have to have a great front office, quality coaching, and most importantly, some elite players. This decade began with the Dallas Mavericks winning their first championship in franchise history. Their team building strategy was simple, you know, do whatever it takes to build a competitive team around their all-star Dirk Nowitzki. The Mavericks found their cornerstone piece back in 1998. And from that moment, they did all that they could to give Dallas the best chance to win a ring with Dirk. By the turn of the decade, LeBron and Bosch had joined D-Wade in Miami to form a super team. The Oklahoma City's Thunder young drafted stars were coming of age and the San Antonio Spurs were still continuing to find success. In the 2011 Western Conference playoffs, the Mavericks saw off the two-time defending champs, the LA Lakers, for going head-to-head with OKC and their all-NBA duo, Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook, in the conference finals. During the offseason, they had added Tyson Chandler to the star duo of Dirk Nowitzki and Jason Kidd, and they had too much for the Thunder as they took the series in five games to set up a finals rematch with the new-look Miami Heat. The Heat had defeated Dallas in six games in 2006. Since then, though, the Mavericks had stuck with Nowitzki and improved the roster around him, but on paper, they appeared no match for this Heat team now with LeBron James and Chris Bosh alongside Dwayne Wade. But this was Dirk's time, and he was not going to let anything stop him from winning a ring. The Mavericks took the series in six, and their commitment to their star had finally been justified. Nowitzki won the finals MVP, averaging 26 points and 10 rebounds, 13 years on from being drafted by Dallas. He was a star, and the Mavericks knew. They committed to him, and he brought home the bacon. This is Don't Trust the Process. James, coast to coast, and throws it down. Welcome to Coast to Coast, an NBA podcast by the fans, for the fans. My name is Chris, and hosting with me is my guy, Ronan. Tune in every week as we dive into the hottest content and emerging rumors across the league. Dodgers pulls off three-pointer. Bang! Bang! It's good! Dodgers wins the game at the buzzer! Don't miss a beat. Whether it's a star on the move or the Knicks acquiring another forward, we got you covered. Zion for four for four! The game is constantly evolving, and whether it's by the eye test or advanced stats, we'll give you the analysis you need to take your fandom to the next level. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! Sit back and relax. Coast to Coast starts now. This, if this podcasting doesn't work out, you should be a, a storyteller, professional <laughs> storyteller. I love it. Derek Nowinski, we purposely wanted to talk here because I think this is such an interesting place to discuss where you have this meeting of, of two different teams, completely different teams. A team like the Mavericks, who for over a decade had been waiting for this investment to pay off. It has to be the most patient investment and actually... Dirk Nowinski is the only player to have played that long with any team in the NBA. And this is honestly one of the most successful teams over the past decade and a half so before he, uh, they won the championship. And they had many, many 50-plus win seasons. They had a 60-win season, deep playoff runs, two finals appearances, which one of them, like you said, ended up in that championship. And, you know, a lot of people would also argue that it should have been three appearances, uh, that controversial series against the Lakers. Um, but this is, a, this is a time where we're going to talk about here teams like the Mavericks who really committed to that one guy. Um, there are a lot of ways that you can build out a team, but like the Mavericks, you have teams like the Bulls and Derrick Rose, the Bucks and Giannis, Daryl Morey's Rockets, and James Harden, just to name a few that we're going to talk about. And they really went all in on just having it work around this guy. Um, so, I mean, we, we talked about the Mavericks first. I just want to jump into them. Just looking at their history and how it culminated to the point where they won a championship. Um, I think one of the most interesting things about just looking at it is how just aggressive they, they were and how, how aggressive I think maybe they were able to be in trades 
and uh, free agent signings and just moving, having as much uh, um, organizational movement as possible because they had this, they had this cornerstone. They had faith that they didn't have to do, they didn't have to be too patient. They could be aggressive because they had Dirk um, and, you know, had, had some mixed results over time, but um, what, what were some of the, the things that you saw yourself over looking at this team and how they built out? It was just kind of the big thing. It was just a sustained success. Obviously, they weren't quite as, as successful as the likes of the Lakers and the Spurs uh, in that period. But after not making the playoffs the first two years of Dirk's tenure in Dallas, they made the playoffs every single year up until the title in 2011. They won at least one series in seven of those 11 including one conference finals appearance and one NBA finals. So, I mean, it was just, that's just a sign. When they were competing with the likes of the Spurs and the Lakers in that Western Conference, they were always able to build a team around Dirk. That Obviously, Dirk was the, 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 the key part here. Like, he was a, an exceptional player that not all teams had the luxury of finding. But they were always able to build enough quality around him year after year to still be able to compete. And they kind of just, they did it in stages. I mean, the original stage, they kind of had the likes of kind of Michael Finley, uh, Steve Nash, mm-hmm. and they were kind of in the early days. And then when that didn't work out, they they kind of, they, they moved on again. And like they had the likes of Antoine Jameson, who, who uh, or sorry, uh, Avery Johnson, who won coach of the year while in charge of the Mavericks. Uh, Dirk won MVP. I mean, there was so much quality in this team. And they were just so patient, and it's it's just it has to be admired. It, it was just so impressive how how patient they stayed with Dirk, but at the same time being aggressive to build the the right quality of team around them. Yeah, and I think when we think aggressive today, we, we think about um, like trading for because of the amount of moves have been made over the past five years, trading for a Chris Paul, trading for a Russell Westbrook, trading for a Kawhi Leonard. That's when we think when we think aggressive, but you know, what the, the Mavs did over a decade was um, constantly trading for guys that would complement their star. You know, they getting, uh, you mentioned Anton Jameson back in 2003, um, getting Jason Kidd back and getting Sean Marion, getting guys like Jason Terry, Stackhouse, Harrisley, you name them. Over, over the decade, they had really gotten all these guys that they weren't stars. I mean, they, in their own right, but they, and this is part of our conversation too, you know, what, what prevented them from being, uh, getting stars. Um, but even though they weren't able to get that second superstar, they constantly were getting productive players. Um, they never were building for the future. They were never trying to get, uh, draft assets or, or young guys to build around. There was never a question of, oh, is this the guy who's going to replace, uh, uh, Dirk is always, going to be him until they won that championship and um you look at that today I mean if they didn't win a championship um I I guess maybe we would be asking the question should they have uh rebuilt should they have thought bigger picture and, and went for a championship um so I mean that obviously changes the narrative and I think we have to think a little bit about what we define as success because there's so many things that affect if you win a championship or not but it's, it's interesting that they, they are maybe not an exception, but as we keep talking about these teams, they, they did a lot of things that could have went bad. They traded a lot of young guys. They traded a lot of picks and they signed a lot of older players signing Jason Kidd in his, his, his very old age back in 2007. I mean, that was the point guard that won them that helped them win championship. Um, signing old Sean Marion, he was he was key defensively and the way he was shooting three at the end of his career to win them that championship. Um, Jason Terry being that old too, having him on the books. Um, we're going to talk a lot here about the getting bargain contracts and and what that means. And and I think what they did here is they signed a lot of contracts that are questionable and maybe they weren't the most financially beneficial in terms of keeping your cap clean but they definitely were able to keep talent in house to give Dirk the chance every single year to get deep in the playoffs and get to the finals yeah absolutely and then the biggest thing that you gotta 
gotta pay respect to, to Dallas as well. That 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 patient, that 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 like aggressive but not too aggressive kind of formula that they had, that ultimately brought them to being able to draft Luka Doncic when Dirk was finally finished. That's that's <laughs> another another aspect of it. I mean, the they ultimate reset, right? Yeah, like they 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 say that patient. They let Dirk basically just play out as long as he wanted. Those those last couple of years, obviously, uh, Dirk was his well past his best, but. He was still the main guy in Dallas. They didn't tank or anything, but they got into a position where they were able to draft a guy that looks like he's going to take over the league similar or if not to a bigger extent than, than Dirk was able to do. So it's a, it's definitely something that it could have gone oh so wrong, but it, it worked out so well for Dallas. Yeah, and, and one thing that I think is interesting when we look at the Mavs in particular, just looking at how they've how Dirk's early career was there is that um, one, how they, how they found that talent, how they got Dirk and they, they traded for him on draft night. They're able to also get uh, um, Steve Nash on that same uh, draft night. And not only were they able to scout out these two international prospects, and then of course they did again with, with Luca. Um, but what they did is when they got these two guys, they didn't, reset they didn't hard reset they still had some players like you said michael finley um they had good veteran talent to really um have a stable foundation for them to grow as players as young guys um because in reality for the mavericks i mean they they had their championship like we talked about in 2010 but that first half was steve nash and and Dirk Nowitzki. um and we look at a couple of the teams where we're we're discussing the, these rebuilding teams um lamello ball in in Charlotte, you know, we, we weren't so sure how we felt about this Hayward signing, but, and this is not comparing LaMelo Paul and the likes of Derek or Steve Nash, but having a young guy who you believe can be your cornerstone, um, th- there's got to be some value to having a guy like Gordon Hayward, a, a solid all-star caliber player who maybe he's not in his, his, his best of his prime, but he's still contributing. He's still um, allowing there to be some level of success around a young a young player. Yeah, no, one hundred percent. I think you you have to you have to look at all these situations. It's kind of weird. It's, it's only when when you really take a deep look into them and you see how similar so many of these situations are, and it's just kind of the question of the moves that that the front office makes really that that comes down to whether it turns into being a success or whether it blows up into being a complete failure. Yeah. It's, and what we're looking for, for connections here, right. We're, we're trying to find what, what worked and was it luck? And the one thing in terms of luck, I mean, look across these teams, the, the bulls, for example, their, their star, I mean, there was the luckiest lottery of all time. They had the lowest odds ever and still managed to get, D Rose, bring him home. And that's, that's what kickstarted their era here. Um, and it's very similar to, to the Mavs too, having this, this veteran presence to help teams and their, and their young superstars really um, develop. The Bulls also had a core of, of veteran players. They, they had Luol Deng and Ben Gordon um, and Joe Kim Noah and, they were really starting to come in their own there. So they, they weren't as uh, established maybe as, as Michael Finley. They hadn't made an all-star game like Finley had at that point. But it was a huge reason why the Bulls were able to get so good so fast. Um, just obviously, Derek Rose being the youngest MVP of all time, um, being one of the most, the most, I'd say, explosive guards um, the NBA had ever seen. Um, having that that veteran presence early on for these young players um, can't be, can't be overstated. No, definitely not. I think it was, it was such a big deal as well in Chicago that they didn't stop. Like they got, they had the, the likes of Noah and Deng and then they got Rose and that was just the beginning for them. They knew that they had a core of talent, but they knew they still had, had some big calls to make and, First step was obviously bringing in Coach Tibbs uh, ahead of the 2010-11 season. They signed the likes of Corver uh, and and Boozer, and they continued to draft well with the likes of Gibson, Johnson, and Butler. So I mean, 
it was just all coming together. And then, of course, they go on that stretch where they reach the playoffs for seven straight years. And they kind of did all they could to make that champ that, that team a championship team. Unfortunately, they were just coming up against uh, LeBron James in his uh, in his prime years. And I know that, <laughs> that's a heartbreaker for you to think about, but they stuck with it uh, as long as they could. Ultimately, it did not bring a championship. And ultimately, unfortunately, injuries got the better uh, of Derrick Rose. But they committed and they had they had some truly great years and they were one of the great teams to watch in the NBA for, for a period of two, three years. They were. And I think the similarity too with with uh, these two teams, with the Bulls and and the Mavs here, um, is in the quality of player they were able to get. I mean, they they were aggressive early on in, in terms of being active in free agency, uh, being active in the trade market. Um, but they, they both these teams really failed to to get that that serious star next to their all star, and I think a lot of this is more more a product of um, what what the team is able to get as opposed to a definitive strategy. I mean, the the Mavericks definitely wanted LeBron James, the the Bulls definitely wanted LeBron James, but th- these were not the destinations for it, and you know there's there's a lot of reasons why perhaps so you talk about, but um, I mean, they did the, the best of what they could. I mean, sim- similar to the, the Mavs getting uh, Antoine Jameson back when he was a 20 point per game scorer, the Bulls were able to get Pau Gasol and Pau Gasol was still a, a 20 and 10 guy in the end of his career there. That was huge for them to continue being um, a dominant Eastern conference team. Um, but man, this is tough to rehash. <laughs> just all the injuries, just think about how how that's really derailed them. But you know what 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 I think really derailed this team, though, not just the injuries, but it's it's a there's a good and bad part when you look at these teams is is with managing your cap. So the worst thing you can do, and we've seen this with our Hornets back when they were. We're trying to, to figure something out with Kemba, especially the Kings. Um, the, the Bulls were almost too safe. I mean, they, they predicted the, the, cap, the cap rising and they didn't get involved with all these crazy Nicholas Batum type signings. Um, but they, they always had a lot of cap and just never did anything with it. It was just hoarding cap for, for no reason. And I think that got this team in trouble in terms of building out long term. Um, I think when you look at some some other teams like what the Hawks had done is fill their cap with bad contracts by trading it out for for picks. That's something that the Bulls never did, and I think it's a big reason too why when the injuries started to pile up and the contention was over, that there weren't a lot of assets to escape that. Um, and that's really what you saw too with with the the Mavs. The Mavs had traded all their first round picks they had traded all their young assets and they didn't have anything left so as soon as it fizzled out um but then of course the, the mass ended up <laughs> having their own pick and hitting immediately but i guess it, it's it it begs the question of of how how aggressive you you should be and how, how much of the cap you should use and how patient you should be in, in those situations yeah i think that's that's the big thing i think you have to be brave, especially in the in the current market. Like there's the fact that we're we're moving more towards players demanding trades and players not knowing knowing uh, to kind of call a time on the like the teams that draft them uh, maybe earlier than you would have seen in years gone by. You think you you know that the situation is not going to work, and they'll make sure that they get themselves out of there if if they know that there's no way that they can be a part of, of, of a title winning team. And I think that's going to make teams, they're going to have to be more aggressive. And I think if you're going to commit, you got to commit. So, I mean, like you look at like what the Bulls did with, with that team and, and there was times where you felt they could have been a little bit more aggressive. I mean, don't get me wrong. They, they, they absolutely gave, gave a lot. They, they had a great building block around, around Derek Rose and around that, the whole, uh, that coach Tibbs era. But I mean, now when you're looking at it, 
if you have guys who are MVP caliber or, or can year after year all stars, you got to go all in on them. You got to go and try and win that championship. It's it's all about winning, and if you're gonna commit at all, you got to be 110 percent into it. 100. That that's the thing though. That's the that's the mindset, right? You're 110 percent. Um, and it doesn't always doesn't always work out. And and another team here we we got to talk about when we talk about uh, solo star teams is uh, the New Orleans Pelicans, and they were 110, percent but they didn't do it right. <laughs> so they they got Anthony Davis, and they're like, okay, that that's it. We got our guy. Time to go. And they traded away all their picks in what seemed like overnight. And by by the time that Anthony Davis is coming to his prime. He just didn't have anyone else around him. Didn't have any, anyone else to compete with. I mean, obviously they, they had gotten Drew Holiday, which, which he was a solid player, but by then he wasn't really um, the guy he is now. Um, and he never was going to be, I think, the secondary star. Um, and just for example, we're talking New Orleans Pelicans really quick here. Uh, Cause we need to talk about how that went down with Anthony Davis because you, you'd imagine you, you talk about uh, a top 10 player in this league and you think, oh, they, they probably had many winning seasons, right? They had one winning season with Anthony Davis, one, just one. And what, the, what they did is they, look at this, 2011, they traded a first round pick for Jared Bayless. He played 11 games for them. 2013, they traded that first round pick for Drew Holiday, and again, we said, I think it's a little too soon. And just going back on their management history, they only got one pick for CP3. Back in his prime, talking about the best point guard in this league. And, you know, I think we can look at these teams and um, for sure condemn teams who are not being aggressive enough. But also some of the return that a lot of these teams have is just they get, they get swindled and they, they have nothing left to, to build off of. Um, and let's, we're talking about all these moves. Let's talk about the Rockets real quick. Let's talk about Daryl Morey. Daryl Morey, who is going to be a fixture in NBA history as one of the most shrewd businessmen, one of the most uh, innovative businessmen of the basketball world. Um, we talk stats about players all the time, advanced stats, all these exciting things. Here's a Here's a couple uh, stats for for him. You know, he had 77 moves, 77 trades in the time that he was a GM. So he sent out 27 picks. Or he, no, no, he sent out 37 picks, got 27 picks back total. 70 players saw their time begin in the Rockets under Morey, and 72 saw it end sent him packing out of, out of Houston. I mean, this guy just was constantly, constantly moving players in and out of Houston. And, you know, I think a lot of people are, are wondering like, how, how did that end up? Well, I'll tell you, James Harden, you, you get, he got his guy in, in James Harden and he did absolutely everything to, to make it work there. And, and when we look back on the Rockets, um, I think we'll see, the blueprint. I think that honestly, when we look at us, you have one star and you build around them, that has to be the, the holy grail of, of getting it done because um, you look at all advanced metrics too, value over replacement player. If you, if you, uh, the 538 did a really cool study on this, they did um, analyzing all the VORP of all the players they got versus the players they sent out and they had easily surpassed that over any other team in the league. And he just wasn't afraid to make moves all the time and wasn't afraid to mortgage the future for the guy that they knew they had and pursue stars. Dwight Howard didn't work out, but when they got CP3 in 2017, that led to the two most, one of the two, two of the most uh, offensively efficient teams in history. Um, so when we, I guess when we, we look at uh, teams like the Bulls, Right now, the the Hornets, Kings, you, you don't you don't think of of teams that are are really trying to to make moves, and I think that's a big difference. Is is the management? Is are they willing to to be constantly active, looking around? And that's one thing for me. I mean, personally, as a Bulls fan, just watching this rebuild is 
you know, we got new management in now, which is exciting. But previous to this, guard packs, it's a lot of it was standing pat, being patient and just drafting and hoping they develop and just letting it happen. But Daryl Morey, I mean, just grabbed the team by the horns and did everything he could to change things as fast as possible. Because you don't have a very big window when you have players like Harden, which obviously he's wearing a different jersey. You know that now. Yeah, I mean, the Rockets kind of were, were the big, were kind of the big one you look at here as as a modern day example of how how to commit to your superstar. Like back in 2012, they they began like a complete overhaul of their team and like they arguably spotted a bit of a diamond in the rough in Harden. I mean, he was he wasn't starting in OKC. He was the, the reigning sixth man of the year, but they saw this guy and they were like, right, we need to get him. He is going to be our franchise cornerstone. And like, that was, that was impressive, the scouting. And just to make that, that decision on a guy that had gone three seasons, I think without, without really starting many games at all. And you saw instant improvement. I mean, they added then uh, Howard, of course, you know, that didn't work out in the end. And then they kind of, that that's that sort of period kind of ended after they they made to the conference finals 2016 and then the, the following year it was a quite disappointing and then that ultimately led to another rebuild where they bring in D'Antoni they kind of they get rid of Howard oh well he opted out but I think they they, they, they get rid of him basically that was the positive for them <laughs> and then of course they go and they try to embrace uh, the coach's style, they try to embrace Harden's style, and they bring in guys like uh, Gordon uh, to kind of suit this up-tempo offense that the team was trying to play. There was no kind of just bringing in guys because they, they had good years or they had star power or anything like that. They were making sure that the guys that they were bringing in were guys that were going to complement this coach and most importantly complement James Harden's game. And obviously that all came came to fruition basically when they got when they got CP3 in. They had that 65 win season. And unfortunately, they lost Paul in the Western Conference Finals. And they ultimately missed out probably on their best chance at winning the championship because they got beaten by those Golden State bastards. <laughs> and that's that's the you know, just like how the the Mavericks they had a chance to advance past Kobe's Lakers to the finals and maybe get their championship there. Um, the Rockets, they'll be forgotten and how close they were. They were so close to beating what we look at as, as the best dynasty of, of this era. And, um, you know, and the, you're right. They didn't do it. They got CP3 for sure. Um, and it wasn't their, their big LeBron signing, their, their big Chris Bosh signing. But beyond that, it was the guys around them, the value signings around them. Like everyone remembers uh, Maury for how he was chasing after stars, but it's a little bit more interesting to think about the PJ Tuckers, the Luke Mbamutes, the um, the Nanes, the Daniel Houses, Ben McElmores, Trevor Rezas. Like these are the guys who allowed the Houston Rockets to be the best three and D team in the league and push three point shooting to its absolute limit. I mean, the Warriors definitely in their own right had revolutionized the three ball, but the Rockets turned that into something crazy. I mean, the, the that's like Ford, Ford made the uh, Ford made the car, but then Japan uh, made all the, the fancy cars. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they made it something unreal. And this is also another interesting point that, the Rockets, out of all these other teams, and this is something that's been introduced more and more so in the modern era, is this analytics-based approach. Um, choosing players based on their analytical profile, um, not not just you know position positional basketball and and more traditional ways of viewing it, but um, looking at their impact metrics and looking at how that fits in with with their team and you know, they used math to, to get to this point where they were arguably the best team in the league of many stretches for the past five, six, seven years. Um, and, you know, as, as aggressive they have been, um, a, a, another team 
that we haven't talked too much about here that we're trying to highlight are the Bucks, who, you know, I, I think they've they've had a weird they've had a weird period of time with with Giannis. Um, you know, they've they have had their points of dominance that cannot be um, understated for sure. But in terms of management, in terms of how they've built this team, there there's just been some weird flux between. Um, really smart decisions, like when they when they ended up uh, trading Brandon Jennings and got Brandon Knight, and who is the second star now, Chris Middleton, um, to doing things like trading first rounders for Eric Bledsoe and and George Hill. I mean, they they don't have any assets anymore, and ultimately, what it's led to for the Bucks here is the fact that they are all out of moves. They've, they've checkmated themselves. They don't, they don't have anything left to do. And that's because of the signings that they had. So we compare Daryl Morey and the Rockets having all these value signings. And meanwhile, they re-signed Tony Snell to four years, 46 million, which made it hard to re-sign Brogdon, which they're really missing him now. And Pat Connaughton's early contract that they gave him, which they didn't have to give him at the time, prevented them from getting Bogdan this year. And as a team that we're highlighting as a success, I think there's also there's also some key differences here between you know these these star teams, these star led teams, and and some of the the championship teams that we had talked about previously. Um, you know, you, you wonder how much closer these teams would be, like the Bucks, if they had been a little bit smarter with their cap, a little bit um, smarter with the the signings they'd made. Yeah, absolutely. I think obviously. They they basically discovered Giannis, but don't, like when Giannis came into the league, he was nothing. He was a shadow of what he is now. He's just an eighteen year old kid. I think the most important thing that the the only reason the books maybe are even in a position to challenge at this time is that trade that they made to get Middleton, because in a real way he kind of replaced Jabari Parker, who they selected mm-hmm. with the second overall pick, and obviously he had terrible time with injuries and ultimately was not able to get anywhere close to fulfilling his potential and they developed those two together and they kind of they made they've made some smart moves they've kind of they've they've done it similar to the Rockets they've tried to build around Giannis and Middleton they tried to get in guys you look at the likes of Lopez I think he was a great pickup because he really he suits the way that Giannis plays like Giannis isn't going to be the big guy just standing on the basket so it's important that that Lopez is able to spread the floor and let just leave the, the lanes open for Giannis to, to, to do his thing. But you see the improvements, which is why we kind of view it as a success. And I mean, Giannis, of course, the two MVPs, he's defensive player of the year. I mean, the but the best that they've done is the Eastern Conference Finals. I mean, in a period of two years, they won 116 games. I mean, top to East, back-to-back years. It's, it, it's, it's been impressive, but as you said, they were, they made some kind of silly moves. I don't know if they just kind of, they bit the bullet on things to be too quick and they've, they've really just got themselves into a hole now. And that's kind of the issue that, that again, just goes back to the front of us. You've got to have guys who know what they're doing. If you really want to be able to be successful. They, they literally did the math wrong when they were trying to get Bogdan, <laughs> they literally had to come out and admit that like in their meeting with Giannis, like, what, what do you think you explained to him? Like, yeah, I, that we just did the math wrong. <laughs> like it was just crazy that they, they didn't know some of those things, but um, I mean, this is an episode to, to down on some of these teams. We want to highlight the good things so we can really reflect on how that applies here. But, um, but yeah, it is important to think about um some of some of these these signings and and how this applies to teams like um the bulls teams like the hornets the kings timberwolves and and the kings um i, I guess for the kings and the bulls they come to this point they have a lot of young assets they have a lot of uh valuable draft picks um you got De'Aaron fox you got zach levine um so i guess what's what's the story here like what, what do they learn here? Do, do they need to, to use those assets and, and build more aggressively towards that one player? It's, 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 un, it's unclear to me, I guess, for, 
for the Kings because they 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 just have a constellation of, of players. I'm not sure where, where they fit necessarily. Um, but but it's tougher tougher the Bulls. I'm I'm thinking that the more and more I think about it, the the more I'm less convinced that you know we should just keep building through the draft, keep building through through young assets because once you have enough young assets, like we, we should be, should be doing so. We should be getting that, that Anton Jameson. We should be getting that, um, that, you know, our PJ Tuckers, our Luke Mbamutes. We don't have that. The way that Thaddeus Young has been capable of elevating this team, this, this young team, that's, that's huge. And I feel like we need more, more of that. And these other teams definitely need more of that. Yeah. I think that's kind of the big thing you look at it now with the Bulls, so obviously they had they they were all kind of all over the place before before getting uh, Derek Rose they they fully went in on him then it came to Butler and they kind of bailed on him quite early obviously obviously there was a few kind of off court issues but they kind of only really gave him two years at, at when he was kind of really starting to show that he was capable of being a star in this league and they they bailed on him and now. This is Zach Levine entering his fourth year as a bull, and it's kind of time for them to ask themselves the question, are we willing to go all in like we did with Derrick Rose, or should we look to move him on at this time and and just go back to try, hopefully find our, our next our next Derrick Rose? That's that's a that's a big question that's coming at them. And I guess it's almost time. I think obviously. With their with their top notch picks, obviously they committed uh, committed on MJ that worked out all right for them. They 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 committed on uh, on D Rose and that 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 didn't ultimately bring a championship, but it brought some great years. They didn't commit on Jimmy Butler, so is it time for them to commit now on Zach Levine or 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 is it time to maybe uh, to maybe go back to the drawing board? I think that's the 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 question that. That needs to be answered here. That that now that we talk about it, um, it's it's all about the return. It, what what return are you getting when it comes to either trading your best guy or or any of your picks or anything like what what's are are you getting better return? And I think the the fallacy that's been continuously pushed throughout the league is that future draft picks will ultimately end up in, in superstars like that, that could be a superstar. So let's, let's trade out to get that. And that hasn't ended up being the case for a lot of teams. And, you know, we've already lost, I, I think the verdict is pretty clear. We've already lost the Jimmy Butler trade. You already, you should have committed to him. You should have built better around him. And do you want to repeat that with Zach Levine? I, I don't, I can't, I can't imagine doing this again and not, if, if you're trading him, you're not getting back a, a reliable player because having a guy that can be as productive as Zach Levine, as efficient and rely on him to, to score like that. I mean, that, that's a, when you think about it, that's a team, that's a guy that teams like the 76ers, a team that is in their own right elite right now are dying for. They, they need that type of guy. If, if the best teams in the league are dying to have that type of guy, are you, are you ready to move off of them? And the answer to that should be pretty pretty obvious. Um, and, you know, one thing too, when we look at all these teams, you see names like Rick Carlisle, Avery Johnson, Don Nelson, and, and the Mavericks. The the Rockets they became dominant once they got Mike D'Antoni. Bulls became very very elite in this league once they got Tom Thibodeau. Bucks they were really floundering once they got uh Jason Kidd and what happened when you brought in Budenholzer like there's there's clearly a very big delta between the teams that were good here and, and the teams that end up being elite even though they just had one star and we always talk about it, it's, it's a player's league and you know you can exchange in and out coaches and it'll probably just come down to the stars but it's been pretty demonstrative in these cases how um coaches have brought these teams to the next level. Yeah, absolutely. And I think obviously they, the Bulls made the move this past off season to get yeah. in, get in their new coach. And I think it's, you'd like to know what, what their kind of idea was when they were talking to him, whether they said, 
we we believe in Zach Levine, like Zach Levine is going to be the guy and we're going to try our best to build around him or whether they kind of just said, we're looking for you to come in. We've seen that you, you've got a lot of quality and, and you're just kind of looking to get the best out of what you got, what you have, which is kind of what he did for periods in OKC. So I think that's kind of, that would be an interesting one. We obviously, we, we don't know that information, but that's kind of something that would that would be interesting to know whether or not they were they were fully on Zach Levine, especially coming into this year. Obviously, he's gonna he's looking like he's gonna have his best year ever, and you just kind of hope that this is a year to build. And then when we get by the start of next season, maybe they can make some moves. Maybe they can find that little draft pick. I don't know, but you have to think that Chicago is a top is a top-level team. The Chicago Bulls are meant to be a top-level team. I mean, they've got a three-level scorer. They've got a guy who's incredibly efficient. Why not just go all in on him and do what you can to try to try and and get back to, to, to the top level? Because the the teams in the East, they can't they can't be the big dogs forever. I think why why not why not go in on this guy and 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 bring yourselves back into contention because it's it's more than doable with a guy like Zach Levine. Yeah, and I, I kept uh, I kept floating that trade to you. If we can get our hands in a, a Ben Simmons or something like that, that would be the thing to solve everything. But that's it's probably not happening. Um, <laughs> but back to coaches. Um, the, these teams here: Hornets, Borrego, the Kings, with uh, Luke Walton, Timberwolves with uh, with Saunders. Um, you know, they they they've had their difficulties with the rosters they've had for sure. Um, but do they need a, a galvanizing force here? Do they need a code that can be a, a culture setter that can be um, a strategy setter um, in this, in the same way that Tom Thibodeau established that, that um, defensive culture in Chicago that led to them being so successful. And, how uh, Mike D'Antoni established the most efficient strategy in the league in the Rockets. And I think for, for a team like, especially like the, uh, the Hornets having a talent like LaMelo Ball, you got to have a coach who's like on that same IQ level that can, that can make the most out of a guy who's so, um, who's so gifted mentally with the game. Yeah. I think LaVar Ball would probably be a good option there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, if you want to have a, uh, a movie show, <laughs> but yeah, uh, no, you're absolutely right. Him in, in years, I'm glad he's he's off doing his his Facebook show, not bothering <laughs> us with all this his ridiculousness. Um, what what about the what about the Timberwolves? I've I've just just thinking about in terms of coaching, um, you know, Sa- Saunders has has failed to for me do anything to change how they've played, especially defensively. They, they've been bad defensively, even though they have the tools, the guys to, to get them there. Um, and that, and they're, they're the team here that we're, you know, the, there's some questions to answer for these other three, but the Timberwolves have some very dire questions to answer. Um, and the, the coaching has to be something when we look at these other teams, what what was the galvanizer for them? It was it was the coaching change. You got to imagine that's something that's on the horizon. Yeah, I think uh, I would say a hundred percent. I think the, the biggest thing with the, with the Timberwolves is they don't appear to know what they want to do. I think that's their biggest problem. They've found their guy. They've got Carl Anthony Towns. They have every faith that he is their guy for the next decade. He is their guy that can be a guy who's going to be considered to be the MVP of the NBA. So just start doing whatever it takes to build around this guy and make your team the best team and get go out there, you find a coach and just let him do his thing. Let him take over. Don't don't and and let him be a part of a situation where you're clearly committing to building the best team you can around Carl Anthony Towns. That's what that's what they have to do in Minnesota and if they're not going to do it, would they please just trade cap? Because I want to see him flourish. <laughs> yeah, what about Anthony Edwards? Um, he's been playing very well as of late, especially now that you have 
uh, D'Angelo Russell out. Um, I mean, the two of them, Cat and D'Lo, have barely had the opportunity to get a healthy stretch together. Um, and this is this is another thing that you know it's kind of out of their control. It's like they they finally made they made a move um, to keep Cat happy, and they can't necessarily. I don't know, blame the situation. They can't blame the move. It's, it's a lot of it is, is injury. And a lot of it, I think, is going to come down to what they do with Anthony Edwards because this is two overlapping uh, generations. Is Carl Anthony Towns is ready to win and Anthony Edwards is just figuring out how to be successful in the NBA. Um, marrying those two here is, is not going to be something that I think will be long-term. I'm not sure if they take the the patient approach unless they end up getting, uh, they get themselves into a New Orleans Pelican situation where they have to do something. But imagine though, if, if Anthony Davis in uh, the Pelican situation, if he did have a, a top five pick, if, if he had, if he had a guy to grow alongside would that, if they had a, a Zion Williamson there, could they convince him? Cause that, that was, that was actually an interesting an interesting point for the Pelicans. Could they convince Anthony Davis to stay if they had Zion? I mean, if Anthony Edwards continues to be this good and it's not just a fluke of a month of him scoring 20 a game, if, if he's actually going to be that good, is, is that a, a guy that pushes the needle for Carlington Towns to stay? Because we talk about markets. I mean, we want these teams to be successful, but why did the Bucks just trade everything for Drew Holiday? <laughs> It's only to keep Giannis and the, the only goal for these teams to stay relevant is to keep their guys. So um, they, they got D'Lo. Do they, I think, you know, maybe they have to keep um, Edwards and maybe that's a guy that maybe convinces them, Hey, this is a long-term bet. It's not going to be now, but you'll have a chance in a few years from now. Yeah. I think yeah, it, it, it could evolve into something similar. I don't want to compare them directly, but, it's kind of similar to the, the Cavs' original situation when they – obviously, they got LeBron. They didn't really do anything to get any sort of challenging team around him. But when they lost LeBron, they were able to draft Kyrie Irving. And by the time LeBron came back, that was three seasons later, Kyrie Irving was a serious baller in this league. And maybe if Edwards keeps this form up, he will convince Cat that if, if they just give him a year or two and that by that stage Cat will be around 27, 28, still in the prime years of his career, they could absolutely be a competitive team in this league. But again, they have to decide that. They can't just they can't just let, keep letting it roll. They have to make a, a conscious decision of what way they want to run this because if they're just gonna wait and see on, on Anthony Edwards, that that that's just being disrespectful to Carol Anthony Towns I think if they truly believe in Anthony Edwards as a potential two guy two cat then yeah you keep going with that and you keep trying to build around those two guys but if they're just trying to play a wait and see game they gotta just let let cat move on and just go all in on Anthony Edwards because cat is too good of a player to just be in a wait and see situation at this stage of his career. Yeah. And a lot, a lot of it is going to be that, um, you know, with, with not having their first round pick next year, not having a, a lot of movable contracts right now. Um, it, it's going to be, they're, they're going to want to, to fight to keep their pick. They're going to need to be uh, good enough um, or rather the, the opposite. You'd hope that they'd somehow tank and keep their top three pick and be able to do something with that. Um, but, you know, we, we talked a little bit too long here on the Timberwolves. Um, what, what's some other things we, we want to talk about here now that we've, we've reviewed um, some of these solo star-driven teams? Um, uh, what one, one thing is, I think, is letting key players go without adding any value. That's, that's, a, that's a theme here that I think led to at least for the Mavericks that led to them not having a more successful uh, tenure with uh, Dirk when Steve Nash walked in 2004 they didn't want to pay him they didn't want to 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 risk uh, investing in a guy who's been hurt 
And then what happened next, the following season, Nash beats him in the playoffs and he ends up winning two MVPs after that. Um, and but when you, when you compare that to, to some of these other teams we're talking about, I mean, the, the bulls, like we said, do you, do you let, do you let um, Levine, if you, if you don't make any aggressive moves here, he might walk and then you lose that for nothing. Um, you, you let, and the Bucks let the best player in the league walk. Christian Wood didn't even, uh, they waved him for Pau Gasol. <laughs> another, another example. But um, there's, there's some teams here, like, like the Kings. I think they have some players that they should be cashing out on. A lot of rumors I've heard about Harrison Barnes, how good he's been. Imagine him maybe in the green, maybe in a Celtics uniform. What would they be willing to give for that? Um, there's just too much, too much value on some of these teams who should be building more um, that they should get value out of instead of letting them walk in free agency. Yeah, 100%. I think especially when you look at, at the Kings as an example, I think in my head, obviously we still don't know for, for sure on Halliburton, but he looks like he's got the potential to be a real a real talent in this league and they've committed to Fox. They've signed him on that super max. So everything else, they, they should just be building around those two. They should be looking at options to build, to maybe get in picks or even just get in players that best suit the games of Tyrese Halliburton and the Aaron Fox. They're the two guys for them. And now's the time. Now's the time to be making moves. They have to be aggressive. They've, they've never really been in a, in a position to, to get that aggressive. So when they've been given the chance, they have to take it. Yeah. Um, what else, I, we've talked a lot about uh, these, these teams. Are we? We've really canvassed uh, generally. Um, just thinking, what, what else do you want to touch on here? I mean, it's kind of it's kind of interesting when we when we can liken all these back to a kind of our four main teams that that we're talking at this at this moment. I mean, you look at you look at the likes of Charlotte. Like Charlotte are kind of in the biggest kind of question mark of a team. I mean, you look what everything that went on with Kemba Walker uh, when they signed uh, Lamb and Batum and Lane in 2015. They had a 48 and 34 record to reach the playoffs. They forced the Heat. Uh, to a seven-game series, which they ultimately lost, but they, they they appeared to be in a great position to build from there, and they just didn't do it. All they were able to do was bring in players like Dwight Howard and other guys that were just long past their best, and they lost three straight years, and Kemba Walker walked out as soon as he could to, to join the, the Boston Celtics. So now they're in a similar position again where they've got a guy who appears to for all the world to have all the star power you could possibly want in a guy. They've got a solid core built around them. You mentioned Hayward earlier. Rogier is really stepping up at this at the moment. And they've got a couple of other young guys within that team. So you got to build on this now while you can. It's time to be aggressive. MJ, we know you're not afraid to spend your money. You got to do your best to get out and do it. And you got to, Got to make some big, big deals and make some guys that want to want to come out and play in Charlotte and play play with Lamelo Ball. So one of the things we see is you know trading first round picks that that's gotten some of these teams in trouble. That's what got uh, the Pelicans in trouble. Um, that's what ended up leading to uh, to a tough period in the Mavs history where they weren't sure if they were gonna be able to rebuild without any picks which luckily that ended in a championship for them. But of course they had Dirk. And, and the question is then, is LaMelo the guy? And I don't know, I, when, when I look at the Hornets, that I think they still have time to be patient. Um, you don't want to be overly patient. But yeah, I, I think the, the question is, how, how willing are you to start um, dealing out picks, start um, getting actual impact, impactful players? I mean, the Bucks. Bucks weren't afraid to do it. They went out and they got guys who could compliment Giannis. But again, it's Giannis. It's 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 a two-time MVP. If you don't have a two-time MVP and you start sending out first-round picks, you're you're not sure where you're you're going to end up. And 
the the common theme among all, all these all these teams is is the mortgaging of the future picks and are you are you gambling on young talent or are you getting a proven contributor or like what's really unfortunate is we, we talked about the the pelicans they they got Marcus Cousins they got boogie they got the guy who was supposed to be Anthony Davis's uh co-star and then that that ended up not working out due to injury but it, these are all big risks and I think you got you got to be a little more a little more calculated than than what they've proven to be. I, I'm not sure I necessarily trust uh, the Hornets making what they think is a a calculated risk at this point. Yeah, I think I think that's a probably a fair fair opinion to have. But I think Daryl Morey is a guy that's shown that it can be worth it to take these risks. I mean, he gave up a ton of picks to get in. To get in Chris Paul, he gave up another ton when he brought uh, Westbrook in for last season as kind of the last chance to ride desperation. And ultimately, it didn't bring a title to Houston. That team is now broken up, but they have lost Harden. Don't get me wrong, they've lost their, their cornerstone. They've lost their bedrock of, the, of their team. But they appear to be in a very decent position still now even after all the moves that they made to be able to rebuild, they've got plenty of picks back in return for, for Harden. So I think they've shown that the risk reward, it, it can, it can, it can absolutely work out. If, if you're, if your front office work and, and the deals that you make are, are smart enough. Yeah. Well, I, I think that, I think that about covers it. We, we talked a lot about, these uh, these teams, the Mavs, Bulls, Rockets, Bucks, um, and I, I think we we can we can notice these things. We can notice how being aggressive in the right ways is going to bring in impactful players. And um, I think the thing that I, I've realized through us, like looking at all this, is that it's an it's a necessary strategy to adopt once you realize you have a star and you're in a market where you're not going to easily sign another star. In free agency you're, you're not in this situation and i think that's something that absolutely applies i mean the the bulls haven't been a a destination market since michael jordan um charlotte's not getting there sacramento's not getting there minnesota sure as hell is not getting there um and i think that's going to be be a unifying theme there and hopefully the the coaching aspect is something that we'll see over the course of these next few seasons with with the Bulls, I mean, they've already gotten so much better not having Jim Boylan there, just having, and, and I'm not sure how much of it is Jim Boylan just being that bad of a coach versus Billy Donovan being a great coach, maybe a, a mix of both, but um, you you hope you hope to see that either the coaching situation shine through in, in, in Charlotte. Borrego has been reported to be uh, great with the young guys there, but Kings, we'll, we'll see how that ends up, I, I think, the writing is on the wall for, for Saunders. Um, and we, we mentioned it before, but that, that cap flexibility, see, seeing how they can, these teams can manage the cap so that they can be aggressive so that they can continue to, to make these deals. Um, this has been an interesting conversation. I think this has really um, illuminated a lot of the, the patterns and how teams that don't have the, the legacy, that Lakers legacy, that um we that miami heat uh legacy how they can always seems to be the miami heat are rumored to to be in talks with with uh superstars and that that might be that that don pat riley uh might be that and it also also a, qual- a quality coach that they've had for a long long period of time that 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 helps it also yeah but what one thing that these teams didn't do because they were busy mortgaging their future picks is drafting and the next thing we want to talk about in our series here is building through the draft and ultimately answering the question if you should trust the process we want to look at some teams that have really been successful and maybe not as successful as you think at building through the draft and building through the lottery or even other deeper parts of the draft and be looking forward to talking about that with you next time. Can't wait, man. All right, I'll catch you later.
Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Coast to Coast. Don't forget to hit us up on Instagram and Twitter at Coast to Coast NBA Podcast to hear your takes discussed right here on the show. And remember, take every shot and love every moment.